Welcome back to Managing Marketing. We're here in Florida for the uh, ANA Advertising Financial Management Conference. And I have great pleasure at the moment to sit here with Michael Duda, who's managing partner at Bullish. And uh, you know, the, it's an opportunity for me to catch up with someone I first met about three years ago in New York and uh, has been doing some really interesting things. So thanks, Mike, for making the time. It's great to be here and good seeing you again, Darren. Look, um, the, one of the reasons that uh, I was really wanted to catch up with you was because I read the news that you've started a new business. You had Consolary, which was the sort of the trusted advisor for uh, marketers, and you've started this new business called uh, Bullish, and it has a consumer investment fund. Give me the concept. Yeah, and you know, for, forgive the uh, four score and seven years ago. This might be a ramble, but. Uh, you know, what I realized back at the, the end of the 2000 crash is that uh, clients aren't really the clients, it's the CEO. And the CEO's clients are Wall Street. And if you don't make your numbers, heads roll. And it's not just the CMO as we talk about in our world, but it's the CEOs as well too, and, and things go kind of downhill. And I saw something amazing at a 2003 conference with Goldman Sachs. Walmart went up there and they said they saved 15% in global procurement in 2002 by doing cost cutting. Right. That was the first time I saw the word procurement. And then if you look, at least in the States, like over the next 10 years, procurement people became the new rock stars. What Bernbach and Ogilvy were in the 60s, procurement was in the advertising industry. And I wish that was funnier than it sounds, but it, that's a God's honest truth, as you might say. Especially when we're here surrounded by about 700 of them. Isn't I mean, amazing? And agency people. Isn't yeah. it amazing? And, yeah. and quite frankly, I got a little bit ticked off that these bloody people on Wall Street looked at my breed as an expense. Yeah. Advertising done well. We've seen the stats, if you listen to this podcast, that if you invest during times of downturn, you will reap unbelievable benefits uh, in terms of, of an ROI. Tough to do because you can control the cost. It's, you can't necessarily fire a plant that makes Pepsi you know, yeah. on there, but it's like you can cut the marketing back. And um, as you know, the agency model is predicated on getting paid for the time it takes to create stuff. Yeah. And something just seemed really wrong to me in that we have such an unbelievable, on the agency side, we have such an unbelievable talent to combine the left and right side of the brand, use, identify business problems and how a brand can do it, and then some of the best creative minds in this, in this business to solve business problems, and we get paid for the time it takes yeah. to solve them, not, Look, for, I, not I, for the outcomes. I absolutely agree with you. because. The other problem I have with the industry is we define creativity as the ability to write an ad sometimes, when in actual fact there are so many great creative minds that actually solve Absolutely. problems creatively. Yeah, and there's a big difference there. Like there is one skill to write an ad or come up with a concept, but there's a totally different, and it's still a creative skill to solve a problem. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, Consigliere Brand Capital, as you reference, was born in 2010 because the agency I was at just couldn't do it. They couldn't embrace them around. It's like fees for services, and then you reset the button every year. And I'm like, you know what? I can either, at a kind of young age, I like to think, even though my body felt older, <laughs> I, can, I can either do something about it or just be a curmudgeon. And mm -hmm. I decided, you know what? I'm going to go invent my own uh, corporation. And, um, the, the ideals were to, to put money and marketing on the same page. So we made investments in companies. So when we talk about skin, in, you know, 
we were putting skin in the game. We weren't putting skin. We were putting money in the game, which yeah. is much bigger than skin. So we were investing dollars, not big dollars. Well, you know, sorry, but you know Bill Bernbach famously said a principle's only a principle when so it costs you money, yeah. right? And that's well said. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's why I think that when you sit at the table and you're willing to put cash or money on the table, then you are speaking with an authority that you don't have if you're just sitting there going, oh, I've got this idea or I have this opinion, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's well said. I mean, it's, it's why I, one of my favorite campaigns of all time is Apple's uh, Only the Crazy Ones, right? Yeah, And, and love come it. back, and it was just so amazing at a key point in time. But we, we were willing to put money uh, into equations, and that, that just changed the conversation. So you go from being a supplier or someone who makes ads and marketing to helping, helping that entrepreneur, that CEO, actually with the superpowers we have in brand marketing and the consumer. Mm. We say it's all about the consumer, that's lip service, no one knows how to activate on it because we can't get it our own way. We were making informative business consultations based on like what would be right for the company to do. And the way we were making money at the time is we were advising high-level CEOs on, on how to right-size business, business strategies, brand strategy. Yeah. And you know, quite frankly, the more those are looped in together, the more potent a business can be no matter what the business is. And I thought, well, we won't do creative because think about this and the reviews you've been a part of, whatever. Agencies win a piece of business based on their great idea and the romanticism of what could be and they spend lots of money. How do they get paid? Hmm. Well, then the client goes, I'll pay you. Um, we need 10 radio ads. We need this internet stuff. So I'll pay you a blended hourly rate to do this. It's like, so any agency that thinks that they can actually, like ideas are the currency, Ideas are the cost of doing business that cost them a lot. The and time it takes to build off that idea is really how they make money, and there's something wrong about that. So, Mike, I did a piece of analysis on uh, the whole pool of our client uh, spend. And what for all of their AMP budget across hundreds of clients, what do you think was the percentage of spend that actually went to creation of ideas? Uh, I'm going to say it's somewhere between zero and zero percent. Yeah, it's less than 1%, so okay, you're very yes, close, right? Yes. And, and our clients were shocked, you know, yeah. because they spend so much of their time talking about it. The agency spends so much time talking about it. But in actual fact, the vast majority, and, and you know, the included in that was media and everything, but the vast majority is the implementation of the idea. That's what they pay for, is the manufacturing process, not the design process. And it's become so, you know, if you don't pay for something, it has no value. And, and I completely agree to it, and that's exactly what's happened, but it's, we go, whose fault is that? Mm -hmm. Is it the client's fault, or the agency's not saying no? And to me, it's, it's, I love the agency business. I cannot tell you the talent that's in this business, it's amazing. I don't know if I know of any other industry that has done a wonderful job of moaning about a problem and doing so little about it. Mm -hmm. We had the commission system, that's great, let's long for those years. But guess what, we're the ones that introduced the system that we're talking about now in terms of like, hourly fee and all that stuff. If agencies say the word no and podcast you know, listeners, you're going to hear the word no. It's going to be a drinking game. It just, it's amazing how a bunch of the issues we're going to talk about would be cured. But mm -hmm. we don't. Yeah, and we control. Because, and I think it's because, uh, and, and I look for this when I talk to agencies and marketers, it's the difference between account service and account management. And the vast majority of agencies and uh, clients 
talk about account service because it's an industry that is built on the concept of service. It's not built on the concept of management, value creation. It, you may as well be talking to a waiter, you know, I want yeah. two drinks, bring me two drinks. No, I didn't want two martinis, I wanted two old fashions, go back and bring me two more. And I'm only going to pay you for the two drinks. And it's easier to quantify, but that doesn't make it right. And yeah. somehow we've just allowed it to happen because, you know, like clients, there's a lot of bad behavior on clients. Payment terms are outrageous and some of the indemnification issues and everything. But if agencies don't fight back, and I get, well, someone else will do it. Let that be someone else's problems. We create the very problem that we're wallowing in. Mm. And, and it, I'm not going to say it's got to stop. The tide has to turn. Like, if you don't stand up for yourself, why should anyone else? Well, I've, uh, there's a couple of agencies I know that say no in the pitch. And we encourage people to say no in the pitch. If they don't want to do something, yeah. just say no. And it's interesting, I would say more times than not, when an agency says, no, we don't want to do that, the client will be inclined to say, okay, and accept the terms that the agency's standing for. Yeah. But the fact that the vast majority of agencies are just saying yes. In fact, I used to joke that I could phone an agency CEO and when he took my call, before I even described, he go, yeah, we're in the pitch. He didn't know who it was for or how big the uh, project was or what the process was. They were so obsessed with winning business and then delivering service. But very little of it is ever about value. They talk about value as a glib term and they usually talk about it in the concepts of creativity, which is the one area that clients are not paying for. No, and, and you know, if, you, if you look at the agency world, it's like some of the best agencies or some of the best talent, if, if led the wrong way, can wind up being starving artists, doing wonderful work that's celebrated at con and, and everything. But how, how are you being paid? And, and you care less about that. Well, if we win awards, then we'll attract more business and then we'll do better. It's like if you win more awards and you attract business and you use the same economic kind of sliding scale you're doing for everything else, you're not going to build a profitable business. And this shouldn't be a hard business. I mean, the business model is predicated. You have people you pay then there's the benefits, then there's real estate, you keep the rest. Mm. It's a pretty simple model. And so that's why this should be a very attractive business. If, if a Droga 5, for instance, is better than a clown and partners agency, they should be able to charge more. You have clients saying, well, an art director in New York should be charged this, an art director in Sydney should be this. But it's up to the agencies to really define their own value in terms of economics. And I think we have more excuses in as an industry than we do solutions. Mm. No one forces us how to grow. No. And yet it's like, well, Darren Woolley's running a review and we have to do it because yeah, I've got to win business. I got to win business, so Darren this way. And listen, I have a lot of I have a lot of empathy. If you have a client and they're not doing well and they all of a sudden we have to cut your fee, that happens. And those are very serious conversations. Fee cuts, as long as they come with some like scope reductions too, can make sense because it might be hard to replace that business. In new business, when you have an infinite amount of agencies potentially chasing the same thing, that's your chance to shape policy. If you say no, guess what? It might be a great brand and everything, but it, that's literally so much money and so much resources not spending something that is not going to make your agency like economically better. You got to do some stuff for the marketing part. So great work and all that stuff. But if agencies sat down and thought about their business as a business, mm. it's amazing how some of the behavior changes would take place. Well, Mike, place. you're clearly a business person. I mean, you, you've worked, you work in advertising and you understand ideas and strategy, but you clearly have a business focus. The, the interesting thing I've seen is that I think a perfect storm hit the industry and 
there wasn't enough business people in the industry in senior leadership roles to actually cope with the storm. And, and here's my storm scenario. Two, you know, 2000s, especially by the mid-2000s, procurement was absolutely, as you say, they were becoming the rock stars, right? And they were crawling all over marketing and advertising. They were looking for the addressable spend that they could squeeze on. And then along came the, we call it the financial crisis, but you know, in 2007, 8, 9, marketers were suddenly hit with major cuts to their budget. And they were often going to the agency and saying, guys, you know, like I've got this major cut, but I've got all this work I want to do. And the agencies, for fear of losing any revenue, were happy to secure less revenue and do more work. And what that set up, in, in the agency's mind, they were doing it because they thought this was a relationship. It was one that I'll help you out now. And when things come good, you'll help me out by paying me again. But it didn't work that way because what it actually set up in the marketer's mind is, well, if you can do all that extra work for 30% less money or the same amount of work for 30% less money, you must have been making a lot of money before. And so when things have come good, you know, the economy's starting to, you know, it's got good signs of sustained growth. The marketers are not coming back and throwing a lot of money to the agencies, are they? No, they're not, and, and it's like if I'm a marketer, they shouldn't throw lots of money to the agencies. The agencies should earn it, and so it, it's amazing when you're faced with tough business problems. How like innovative minds, when you have to work smart and fast, can can adapt. Um, well, what that does over time is when you forget what the value was. When you go back to the 1950s and 1960s, and I hesitate to bring up Mad Men, but in the days of Bernbach and Ogilvy, where you would get a, a master's or a postgraduate degree and start in the mailroom, the respect levels between the CEOs of brands and the CEOs of agencies was immense. Yeah. And things were much, much less complicated. Well, don't you think if things get much more complicated, agencies should be of more value? When you look at Steve Jobs' videos, which are now just surfacing on YouTube, he spent a lot of time on brand, both in the proposition that he wanted customers to pay for, but in advertising and with Lee Clow. And so agencies have such a remarkable ability to transform businesses. We don't think about our own business. Mm. And it's the shoemaker's children have holes in their feet. And so, um, and what I'm sounding, it sounds like perhaps overly romantic and, and, and overly somewhat naive, but there's been really a lack of thinking in this area. It's like we have to like just grin and bear it. And that is absolutely not the case. Well, there's not a lot of places in business today where creativity is actually fostered and encouraged in a commercial sense. I mean, one of the things that uh, people, in fact, I just earlier this week, I heard uh, someone say that they're not uh, challenged by the consulting firms coming into the agency area. Oh, it was Michael Roth. Oh, we're not concerned about that because they won't be able to hold talent. And it certainly will be a cultural issue for a consulting model to be able to hold and foster the sort of creative talent that you'll find at the best agencies. And, you know, and the best thinking. he's not fully right on that because it's like the ta there's game-changing talent. Look, if you have 60,000 employees, they're not all game-changing no. talent. We need plumbers to do some stuff. And so if you see Deloitte and IBM and Accenture buying some of these agencies, guess what? They have the relationships coming from further up the food chain and are looking to go downstream. So they make recommendations and, oh, we have an agency that's able to do that. So that's a very romantic version of it, but... Uh, at the same time, who's taking some of the agency talent? It's Apple, it's Facebook, it's Google. So we got to make this we got to make this a, a, as coveted a sport as possible in, in the agency business. And part of that means economics. We have to pay. Hmm. And so that's Mike Michael's. Uh, that's that's a nice media relations answer. But in all honesty, it's like that's that's short term.
It's interesting what you said, though, because the romantic view about, you know, Steve Jobs working with Lee Clow, you know, that's a time when advertising was actually influencing the CEO, right? And now it's the marketer. Now, what you're saying there is I, I made the link that because these consulting firms are working with the CEO, they can connect these agencies back up at that level. Well, we're also seeing a new generation to, to start a company these days because we minority report starting, you know, we, we work with startup brands you've never heard of and then 80-year-old companies. It just, what Procter & Gamble was 50 years ago may not be what it is 50 years from now. Yeah. You know, Luxottica has had a monopoly in the U.S. Warby Parker has grabbed a lot of market share. You know, Nike is only 50 years old. Yeah. Under Armour is, is barely 20 years old, and they're 5 billion top lines. So it's brands reinvent themselves. And if you look at a lot of brands now, they're doing a lot of stuff in-house, a lot of in-house agencies, which is what I would do in a world of content and speed and all that. So there's, there's, this is a wonderful time to be in business. It's not easy. And if, if, if we're relying on legacy ways of doing business, both, both the models themselves that the agencies introduced yeah. and, and the percentages or terms, it's just like we're going to have a problem. And the great thing about agencies, we're a portfolio and collection of the clients that we serve and help build. And so why don't we go to other areas and, and, and test these things? Some are and some aren't. Yeah. So, so one of the great things about Bullish, from my perspective, is that you're able to start the business and define your own operating model. And beyond the operating model, the actual philosophy that drives it, which is, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah, okay? that's, that's well said. How, you know, you, you, even you would acknowledge the huge challenge for a quite substantial business, like a traditional agency, that has been living on a cost recovery model, i.e. for every dollar in salary, I need to earn $2.4 because that's the way my business works to then turn around and actually become value-based because they are all cost-driven. I mean, everything about the agency reporting, the agency remuneration, compensation, the agency uh, way of working is about cost recovery. And yet we live in a world that rewards value creation. Yeah, and, and listen, it's like, just depending on what business you're in and what size you are and how you make money, you need to have a different plan. And so if I'm, I will pick on them, J. Walter Thompson. J. Walter Thompson's been around since 1864. I think it is the oldest agency known to mankind. Um, taking aside their, their, their current situation, which I, I won't address, but they have offices in 100 places around the globe. For them to do something with a shiny new toy of Warby Parker, they almost have to lose money like it's pro bono. So maybe the plan for them to grow is, let's look at the Fortune 500 or the Fortune 1000 and really target where do we do excellent in and go after those companies and become their global solutions for marketing across the board. And because we need to have offices in 100 countries, let's look at the, the future Harrods or the Ikeas in Sweden from 30 years ago. Find those aspiring ones where we don't have conflicts and take those on. It's like, let's come up with a concerted plan versus what goes in review. Darren's got this review. Let's go be nice and take Darren out to dinner and be that. And stuff. How you source business versus if you're, you're Droga 5 who's, who's leaner in a jet ski and, and is somewhat global. So, so, Mike, I've got a different view. Yeah. I think if I was J. Walter Thompson, I would turn it into a global ad factory. I would get people in there and work on efficiency and think of their production as a uh, production line and make that quality quality fast and low price. 
right? I would cherry pick all the best people out of there and I would take them and start a new entity because I don't believe any of the traditional agencies can actually reinvent themselves. There is too much legacy attitude, too much infrastructure, too much um, uh, cost base that has to be uh, transformed yeah. for them to do that. And I think, you know, when clients talk about talent, they're not even thinking about companies anymore. They're actually thinking about, you know, in often, thinking about individuals. Yeah, and I don't think we're saying two different things. What you're saying is like have them become more like tag, which has yeah. built a nice business. But if you commit all the way to that, you do have some game changers in talent within some major offices at JWT that if that were to happen, they're going to leave and you're going to lose volumes of revenue because relationships do matter. So one doesn't have to beget the other. What I would advise on a compensation is not every piece of service you do should be the same. I mean, mm-hmm. there's big talk about cost plus. Well, what if you charge more of a premium for the thinking and the business problem solving? But if you're going to like bring that across 50 different countries, that's where cost plus comes in from a deploying mm-hmm. uh, element of it. Or maybe you say, we're going to shut down in 40 countries and use tag mm-hmm. because it's not just scale. It's also like we want to get margin. So there's no one right way, but it's basically committing to what are we good at? What do we have that others don't? And what can we be? Because in your way, which which isn't wrong, you would lose a lot of the talented people that they do no, have. No, I'm in saying so take it's, those talented yeah. people out and create yeah. this new entity. Because yeah. if JWT suddenly turns around to their clients and starts saying, "Here's a premium group of you know game changers, but we want to charge for that," the client will go, "But it's JWT. Yeah. I never had to pay for it in the past. That's the big transition in mindset for a client. If you took them away and said, "Here's new, you know." Blogo company or whatever, and it is the game changer, right? Now, when you get to implementation, we'll just be putting it through JWT, but it's actually up here. And and you know what? You're not buying Blogo. It's full of these individuals. It becomes almost like um, you know the talent management companies in in Los Angeles, yeah. where you can say, "Hey, I want the best digital strategist. I want the best CRM strategist. I want the best creative tech person." Oh, here they are here, you know, and we'll bring them to your project. When you've solved the project, then we'll funnel it into our manufacturing arm to actually create it. But I look at you know Ogilvy, JWT, BBDO. Uh, 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 TBWA, they've got such uh, legacy infrastructure uh, processes and attitudes that just can never transform to a value-based model because it is so locked into cost recovery. Every time you have a conversation around value, they want cost recovered and a bonus. They don't get to the point of what does value mean. Yeah, and, and so a couple of things happened. One, BBDO's had GE, General Electric, since 1920. Yeah. So it's hard to change when you've literally had a client for over 90 years. They've had FedEx since 1989. I mean, Gray's been on, Gray and Satya with P&G, you know, it's, it's older than us combined and that stuff. So, so sometimes it's hard. So you can do a couple of things. You can test the proposition on new clients yeah. and, and, and do it that way. So if nothing else, you can show your legacy clients, like, we have this too. Or you can buy things. Yeah. You can buy revenue, which you're saying. You know, because you know, our friends at WPP or Interpublic, they don't have the ability right now to go, okay, I'm Martin Sorrell. I'm going to take Gray, and this is going to be my this agency in the structure. Ogilvy's going to be this, YNR. And I mean, if you're YNR right now, relevance is pretty tough. Mm right now, right? It's like, what is winners? But they have Wonderman underneath, they have, they have, they have a great uh, VML interactive agency, yeah. but it's hard to reinvent because you'd have to break so much bones. 
Um, and what we're talking about would probably be akin to what JC Penney tried a couple yeah, years ago when they filed, tried so yeah. hard. And yeah. it's just like they, they fired customers and were bleeding revenue. So yeah. it's not easy. But a funny th- regeneration happens. They buy revenue. You have a Droga 5 come up, and then William Morris takes a stake. You have yeah. Mullen come up and get stakes. So it, it part of it is portfolio management and defense by which, offense. Which the holding companies have never been good at. I mean, I think uh, Martin Sorrell has even been on the record as saying largely their conflict uh, management uh, opportunities, having multiple brands, well, rather they, than having them specifically positioned in the market yeah. as being you know, separate brands with strong identities and strong culture. Well, and even that went out the window when, when Martin basically invented the holding company as agency. I mean, yeah. Ford. WPP is Ford's agency, and, and BBD, uh, Omnicom was formed in the mid-80s for that very reason, and it's like yeah, Nissan is well aware if they went outside that. So it, 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 it becomes tough. Um, you know, and, and, and I hate the word conflict. I think the word conflict is just um, poor explanations on yeah. that side of it. And I, I would love there to be more sincere conflicts other than emotional, but we don't get the nuclear launch codes of business strategies we once did. <laughs> and so they're emotional uh, yeah, on that yeah. side of it. But uh, again, there's no one right or wrong way. I mean, I, I said earlier today at the conference, like UPS works a certain way and FedEx a different way. They're mortal enemies in business, completely different cultures. Yeah. FedEx being entrepreneurial and, and UPS being the subset of the government. And so you need completely different forms of life. Um, we're seeing studies that clients are hiring multiple agencies, hmm. you know, on that side. Then you see others that for efficiencies, there's consolidations and you see holding companies reviews. So it's, to be honest with you, if you're an agency, have a point of view, have a good sense of self, what you're good at, maybe what you're not. But God's green earth is not a target prospect. And that's the problem we have as agencies. And then we have to say, like, what economics do we need or portfolio management where we make money, but maybe there's one trophy account where we get to do great work to attract others. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's clearly some things have to change because no one's happy about it. Yeah, that's right. And, and if they don't change, then it's going to change, force them because yeah. the change will happen. Yeah. yeah one of the um, areas of real frustration for me, because yeah, for a while I thought that changing the cost model of remuneration with performance would actually start moving us towards the value model. But um, most of the ways I've seen performance-based compensation interpreted is the agency gives up a bit of their revenue for the chance to earn a little bit more than, than that based on some KPIs set by the client. And of course it ended up just being a cost reduction model, it had nothing to do with performance. Or a pay me later model. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, oh, and by the way I'll pay you on 90 days and your bonus will only be done annually so effectively you'll be getting it you know, in the next financial year. Have you seen... Um, any models where value has been at the core of the remuneration or the compensation? At the core, no, but uh, it depends how you define value. There's some direct response media agencies yep. who are in the ultimate pay for performance business yep. in that they're giving a certain threshold of like, you can acquire customers at a $90 per. Um, anything below that, you get to keep. Anything above that, you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's almost boiler room-like. But that, that's what's going on. What I'd love to see evolve over the years through our model and, and through other people is you have incentive-based comp- compensation. And I hate the term incentive because incentive, we're incentive to help your business grow from the day we're in there, but that's huge. Performance could be on like advertising performance, like getting under a certain cost per acquisition, business-based performance, mm-hmm. something that we want to be held by. And you know, we were here... Um, Yes, Jeff Jones from Target talking about it, that he, he doesn't believe in it because one of his agencies has done a great job and yet the business isn't doing well. Well, 
if I'm an agency, why should I do okay or be protected if the client's business isn't? That's not, everyone doesn't have to believe in that. That's our point of view. And even if you can't do that, at least the secondary conversation is still at a higher level where we want business to be performed. How many times have you heard agencies talk to their clients about being, we're your partner? Oh, right. Now, I have partners in my business, and when we're down, we're all down. And when we're up, we're all up. But, you know, they talk about being partners, but when the client's down, they still get their feet. Yeah. And when the client's up, they complain they don't get a bigger bonus. You know, it's not a partnership. They are yeah. vendors in the way that they, they may talk about partnership, but the way they structure their business and the way they do business, engage in business, they are vendors. They are suppliers of services. Because, you know, this is the risk associated with linking your success to your client's success. Now, the old compensation model, the old commission system, in some ways was a success model because if a company was successful, you would think they'd invest more money into advertising and therefore the agency would get more in it. But it wasn't Which is, by the way, what Warren Buffett preaches when he talks about Geico. Yeah. Know, Geico spends over a billion dollars a year. has changed how all the insurance companies market themselves. And, and Warren will say, I love writing those checks because we get a return on investment. Yeah. And that's wonderful. This is Warren Buffett, the most revered financial person on the planet. Sorry, Mr. Sorrell or Sir Martin. Warren Buffett is. And mm-hmm. so why can't we take some lessons learned? And yet you hear, well, we're a package goods company. We couldn't do that. People find excuses why not versus how could we? And, and that is the thing. It's there's not a lot of Mensa or rocket science stuff in terms of things that we could do to explore. It's just a willingness to when you're a culture of 20,000 people and you have like a certain pay grade and you don't want to be fired or, or redundant to do something different. And so, and so that, that's the time that we're viewpoint in. that Jeff Jones put yeah. about the agency doesn't have full control. Um, I've hit that many times when I'm talking about a performance, you know, business performance model for remuneration. And and here's what I usually say to people: you know, the number one driver of soft drinks, yeah, business driver of soft drinks in the world, is the weather, because when it's hot. You sell more drinks. When it's not hot, you sell less. Now, I say to the agency, so you show me the person in this room that can control that, and I'll introduce you to God. Yeah. Yeah, even the CMO is sitting there. The, C- the next big driver is distribution. And in most cases, the CMO doesn't have direct influence over distribution. That goes with the sales team. So the number one and number two drivers of business performance in beverages is something that no one in marketing or the agency can control. But what we all do is we make a contribution. And if we're recognizing contribution to business success, then that's an easy model because we're all in this together. It's actually relying on being partners and sharing in the results that was created. Yeah, and, and let's play this out because there's there's companies of various sizes and scales. So if, uh, if there's Coca-Cola, and this is where the holding company could come in and say, dear CEO Coca-Cola, we want to go into business with you. Mm. And we can't control the weather, we can't control this, or an attorney general taxes. But, but our media companies have great technology. So if we know it's going to rain, because it's or snow or, or awful weather on Memorial Day in the U.S. and Labor Day and Fourth of July. Let's pull back the advertising for those days because we have the technology to 
predictive weather patterns, what people will do, and maybe we pull back and spend less money on advertising because we're going to business with you. But redeploy that maybe in an area of the world where it's going to be like hotter. So all of a sudden, if you pulled money out of like New York City because like crickets are coming or snow yeah. is coming, and let's put that into Paris because it's going up, we could do that on a global level if I'm yeah. a holding company. Whereas little Mike Duda and his bullish with his, his 14 to 30 people based on our, our model could do this for brand X on a smaller level yeah. that thinks about their business. Why can't that happen? As silly as that sounds, why is it? Because it requires people to think differently and also give up control. And the fact is, they don't have control. You know, I think the uh, the CMO from Deloitte today said, you know, after having three children, she realizes that control is a, a myth. But yeah, people cling to control within organ uh, the myth of control within organizations. When actual yeah. fact, the lip service that's been spread the, the last two days about collaboration, I don't think most people that use the word actually know what's required to collaborate. It sounds good. And the word trust, which I use a lot, is, is another thing. But it's, you know, you know, I learned being at Deutsch for 13 years, the more power you give up, the more you get back in return. Mm -hmm. And one of the slides that we put up, but it's also in the ANA 2020, what markers should look like. The command and control way of doing things just isn't, isn't, going to be quite there. If you if you have a Steve Jobs, if you have a Kevin Plank of Under Armour, if you have a Warlord CEO, Mark Zuckerberg for that matter, that happens. That's fine. But quite frankly, there's so much stuff going on, there's got to be like more of a fluid way of doing business yeah. and that stuff. Um, I won't even get into like the 80 million millennials where it's just like, I think I work for them. So how can I make the most of that stuff? So it's like you could have control, but, but the chief procurement officer of Coca-Cola got up there today and said, here's how we change the organization. So she put the marketing part underneath the marketing organization and she changed her KPIs of how she's bonus by to be on performance versus cost savings. Yeah. And listen, we, we've seen companies at, at this event, whether it's Beekman or Morgan Anderson, that like love, we, we can save you money, those agencies are screwing you. Well, you know what? Good, you have a business model feed, I don't have to agree with it, but it's just, there's different points of views, perspectives to go after. Well, all of those approaches assume that it's a cost of business. And they can get away with it because many times marketers and even the agencies have not been actively calculating and sharing what the value is that they've created. Yeah, and and once you do that, yeah, because people say agencies complain about procurement all the time, and I go, here's what happens: procurement goes to the marketer, says to the marketer, you spent forty million dollars last year. What did you buy? Most marketers go, oh, twenty million in media and some agency stuff. They can't even define what they bought. Could you imagine if you got your credit card statement and it said, yes, you owe us a hundred thousand dollars, but it didn't list anything that you bought. You just spent $100,000 and then it was up to you. This is the way that most people in the category think about budgets. They think about it as a cost and not even an accountable cost. And until we move away from that and everyone, and this is why the conversation has to be with the CEO. This is why the CFO. This is why the connection for many marketers and um, agencies to those people is procurement these days because they've slipped so far away, unless you can leapfrog up there, is about value creation and start putting exactly what you've done, put your money on the table, put your remuneration and what you're meant to get there and say, we'll get paid when we contribute, we can't control it, but we'll contribute to moving that needle, to raising that point. So what you're speaking about is two things, is one, we have to change the conversation, two, we have to change who we're having the conversation with. 
Absolutely. If procurement's leading the charge, I have nothing as procurement, but it's just like if you look at the food chain, the further you are, you are away from the C-suite, the less important you are to the organization. That's right. And what we've seen is the erosion of the, the CEO to the CMO. Yeah. But that's not true of every single organization. The chief brand officer really is the CEO, and founder-led companies, that's absolutely the case. But that, that, that's the very thing right there. And, and now the, 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 the mood, which is unfortunate when we talk about trust, has eroded because of transparency. Agencies and with trading desks, which you are far more fluent than I am, um, not being told. Uh, last uh, one year ago, we had someone you know who was a CEO of a media agency and, and, and quite frankly had much more relevance a decade ago than he does now, said, oh, there's kickbacks happening all the time. Mm. And you had an unprecedented period of time of feuding between the governing bodies of the ANA and the 4As. And so it's kind of a tough time to do it where like clients want to know, well, what are you doing? You're not telling me the truth. And if they don't think they're being told the truth, good luck trying to talk about the value word because but, of that. But, but Mike, this is exactly yeah. what I said before. I don't think agencies can transform themselves. I think to do what you did is the way to do it. You know, I, th I think it can. You know, I, I, look, I, yeah. we can agree to disagree. Yeah. I, it's hard. I, 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 I think maybe some of the independence, but if you're part of a holding company, it has become so ingrained in the psyche that the only purpose of a holding company agency is to make profits, to report up to the holding company yeah. so they can do their quarterly reporting. I mean, I love quarterly reporting because every time they come out and say, we've made 7%, we've made 15%, clients phone me up and go, is that, am I paying too much? Is that why they made, you know, and I have to explain to them, actually, most of that profit has not come from your agency. It's come from your media agency. Yeah. It's become from the other services, you know, research and, and, um, and consulting. But most of you creative agencies are not contributing that significantly to the, um, the overall profits. Yeah, no disagreement. I, I would say it's, it, we might interpret it different ways because when I see what an advertising or an agency can do, I'm talking about holistically about the talent, not what a holding company agency can do. I don't, I kind of don't care if the future of the holding company agencies do well or not. That's not, I yeah. voted with my feet to leave that kind of stuff. You have a lot of talented freelancers who are freelancers now that want to work for themselves in Rome and they might go to BBDO one day, they can come to Bullish the next day. So that's not, that's not all holding companies are going to die. It's just, it's the craft of what we could do can serve a higher purpose and more economic value. Yeah. And guess what? If Publicis and WPP and Interpublic and God knows what's going on with, with MDC can't get it right, that's not my problem. And marketers, it's you, Darwinism. You, I, I've just business seen the Darwinism. Light. I've just had a business <laughs> idea. Were you and I are going to set up the equivalent of the William Morris of advertising talent. You know, we're going to represent them just the same way as William Morris represent actors and screenwriters and directors. And we're going to say to clients, you really want you really want to invest in ideas, you really want to invest in strategy, you really want to buy creative business solutions. Here's the pool of individuals. And and it's happening because William Morris went out and bought uh, Droga 5. And you have a, a popular company, it's a service working, not working in the States where you can go online and see all the freelance talent out there. And it's amazing. And you can book, whether you're a client, an agency, mm. the Catholic Church, anybody literally on, on that side. Of it. So it's, it's so funny that we're talking about transparency because the internet and all the things that are provided for, it provides such massive transparency. And yet the industry we're talking about probably suffers from having the biggest opaqueness. Yeah. That's the most, it, it's a very interesting fundamental thing. And so you are going to see like 
new wave holding companies. Heck, their names are IBM and Deloitte and Accenture to some degree. Yeah. And then there's like these faux holding companies of like a worldwide partners that's a, that's a collective in, in that. So there's no one right way. And so if you're a marketer, how are you supposed to figure all this stuff out? And and it's that's it's where it's the oh, that's the Thank idea. God for Darren Woolley. Thank <laughs> God. Paid for it by Darren Woolley. No, it's, uh, <laughs> but in the, in this side, in the, like you see, some of the best work doesn't come out. Like you know, it, Australia has some amazing independent agencies, mm. and David Drogo was in New, New Zealand doing yeah. some amazing work with low budgets before he became the the king of advertising and, and that stuff. So there's no one right way, and I think that's what kind of we we. we we kind of have a tough time with. There is no one right way, but it's also when agencies figure out what business are they in individually. And, yeah. and that could be the holding companies, that could be an RGA in a holding company, yeah. um, or, or whatnot. We're, we're okay, but we're trying to boil the ocean, trying to come up with solutions, and it's so funny. What and we there's keep not back one, to, there's not, as you say, there's not one solution fits all, but, but the fundamentals. find a place in the market that is a value proposition. Yeah, but right. as an industry, the, the, what we're struggling with, the fundamentals of things, trust, transparency, mm. collaboration, love. Mm. It, it's like those basic things, and we can't get those basic things right. Good luck trying to get the harder stuff right. Like how do we value the business impact we made on your business because of this or that, or client, you cut the budget back, so our bonus is going to be back. It's, uh, all I know is this, the more alignment you have, the better off everyone is. Well, Mike, that's been a fantastic... This is fun, though, Darren, this isn't is it? This is a fantastic conversation. Absolutely. This is fun. Uh, it's terrific to catch up. And, yeah. you know, we've covered a huge amount just then. Yeah. But uh, thank you for your time. Any Anytime. I really appreciate yeah. it. We'll do it again soon. Oh, it's fun. Mm-hmm.